Welcome to the Tobin School Podcast. This is Mr. Gordon. This week, I chat with Miss Gray, our fantastic Taekwondo slash ESL teacher, about her unique family history, her experience growing up in Roxbury but attending school in Brookline through the Metco program, and her connection to Paul Pierce. I then answer listener questions, and as always, reveal this week's Beard Power Rankings. Some controversy swirling around last week's rankings, so stay tuned for the drama. Thanks for being here. Kemba, Miss Gray, welcome. Thank you for being here. Miss um, Gray is our Taekwondo teacher and ESL teacher. She, like many of us at Tobin, wears many hats. So, Miss Gray, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> of course. Uh, I'll start the same way I start every interview on the podcast. We all have diverse paths that led us to the Tobin. So where does your story start and how did it lead you to the Tobin? Um, well, my story started, um, oh, let's see, I want to say 2009 um, when I was a, um, I was a sub at the Emerson School and I, I wanted to, you know, I had a young son back then and I, I needed to make a little more money. So um, I was introduced to the, um, the, a program at the Lynch School in, um, in BC, at BC. And I did my master's and I became a fellow there. I did my master's. It was a year long program. It was the Donovan program, which um, focuses on um, teaching in inner city. Um, and after that, I taught, you know, I did my, my, my student teaching there. And then they, sadly, they closed down. Um, but then I went over to the GRU and I went, I did part-time at the GRU school, part-time at Harvard Kent. Then Harvard Kent took me on full-time. Um, but then I thought it was time to move on to try something else. And that's when I applied to the Tobin. And the Tobin's in Roxbury and I'm from Roxbury. Um, born and raised. So I was like, well, let me get over back to my neighborhood. So I applied and I got the job. So that's what brought me here. And that was what, three or three years or four years ago? Three years ago. So this is my third year at the Tobin. Okay. Feels like you've been here longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Kemba, you have a fascinating family history that you, you've told me a little bit about in the past. Can you tell our audience a bit about that? Sure. Um, so my family is actually, um, we're actually featured in a book called the 21st Family, First Families um, of Color or 21st African American Families in Massachusetts. And I'm actually personally featured. Um, the book actually stops at my generation. So <clears throat> my sister, my brother and I are um, the last generation that was recorded by the New England Genealogical Society. And um, it just gives a family history from my dad's side about, um, you know, the first person that came to Boston and um, who subsequently married and um, into the Wampanoag tribe. And so I have a very, you know, uh, rooted in New England history mm. when it comes to my family history and, um, you know, my genes just like being from here and also being from Africa. So very cool. You could probably teach a history lesson, you know, 
to our to some of our students about that. About, you, you know, and, and, <laughs> um, your father. While we're talking about your family, your father had a role with our beloved Boston Celtics uh, when you were growing up. Can you tell us about uh, a bit about that, please? Yeah, sure. So um, maybe about twenty years ago, he started um, actually. He was the guest chaplain for the Red Sox and for the, um, for the Patriots. And we have a neighbor on the street that I grew up in that works for the Boston Celtics. Um, and he said, you know, why don't you come and, you know, I can talk to some of the owners and we can see if we can bring your, your chapels over to the Celtics. So about maybe in 2002, maybe, um, he became the full-time chaplain of the Boston Celtics. And I remember, um, you know, he, he was close to Walter McCarty back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he became very close to Paul Pierce. And he has like a mentorship, um, a mentor relationship with a lot of people on the team. Um, and so it's, it's really nice. And he's also a pastor and he was a probation officer for almost 30 years in Brookline. So that kind of helps him with his um, being able to mentor the young players and yeah, and that so, and he still currently is doing it, so. Oh, I didn't realize that, that's awesome. Can you tell us what a chaplain does? Could you define that? Yeah, so basically he goes to, he goes to the games, um, the home games, And he'll um, hold maybe like a 15 minute kind of like um, service at the beginning of the game. And he does it. He's a pastor. So, you know, we're from the Christian faith. So he um, holds the, you know, but, you know, anyone from any religion is welcome. Anyone, even if you're not religious, is welcome just to get a good word before you go in and play the game. And he and he not only does it for the home team, but both teams mixed together. So, I mean, if everyone is in the room together, whether like if we're playing the Bulls and it's the Bulls and the Celtics, you know, whoever comes to chaplain, um, mm. to the chapel. So that's nice at the beginning of each game. game. Um, I played ball with you, Kemba, and you got some game. So do you, is that related to your father's role and relationship with the Celtics or did you just always enjoy sports or playing basketball or, um, as a kid? Yeah, I always enjoyed sports. Um, I played basketball, you know, since I was very, very little, played soccer. Um, just, I did a lot of sports. Um, so, but yeah, my love of basketball just really comes from my big brother and my dad, and we have a basketball hoop outside of my house. So just playing, um, you know, like in the backyard, all the neighborhood kids would come. So I just grew up playing with, you know, the boys from the neighborhood, and that's just how I, I grew up so Mm. yeah um you so you mentioned that you born and raised in Roxbury and now you're teaching back in Roxbury but you've also mentioned to me in the past that you grew up going to school in Brookline which is a predominantly white city that borders Boston um could you tell us a little bit about about how you ended up in schools in Brookline and kind of what your experiences was like your experience was like going to school there Sure. Um, yeah, so I was part of the MECO program. Um, the MECO program is a busing program that buses students from Boston to, suburb, to suburbs um, outside of Boston. So my brother and I and my sister um, and a couple of my step-siblings all 
went through the Brookline school system. My dad was actually uh, one of the first classes to go through the Needham um, school system as a MECO student. So we are very um, deeply rooted in the MECO program. My son's actually currently in MECO. Um, so yeah, I grew up going to school in South Brookline. So I kind of have this like duality of life. I grew up going to school in South Brookline, which is very affluent Jewish neighborhood. Um, you know, like I had best friends out there, but then I also came home back to Roxbury where I had my best friends back home. Um, so yeah, so that's how I grew up from what, five to 18 years old. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Kind of, did it feel like you were living in two worlds almost because, you know, from experiences I've, I've heard and read about from folks who've gone through the MECO program, that was something that they were kind of, that was kind of a struggle growing up was living in these two worlds. Um, the world you were in during the day when you were at school in a, you know, white affluent suburb and then going home back to your neighborhood where folks look more like you. Yeah. So, um, it, it was different. It allowed me to learn how to code switch a lot. So when I was in um, Boston, I spoke like a Bostonian. I spoke like a black Bostonian. When I was in Brookline, I could code switch to sound, you know, more like someone from Brookline. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a struggle. If anything, for me, I, I think it was a great experience to have because it really allowed me um, to see kind of two sides of things. Um, so my family, growing up, I was middle class and, you know, my dad always told me we had an opportunity to move to Brookline um, when he became a probation officer there. But my dad chose to stay in the, in the neighborhood um, in Roxbury because he wanted to, he wanted to raise his kids around um, other, other black people so that we could kind of have that uh, rooted, you know, we could be rooted in our culture. So it was kind of like the best of both worlds. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that my friends in Brookline said, like if we were going through, like on a field trip and we were going through Dorchester, oh, get down, I'm gonna get shot, you know? And I would stand up and say, no, you're not gonna get shot. Like, this is not that kind of place, you know, like, you know, where, depending on like where we were. Um, so there are those kind of things that happen, but I think it, from a very, very young age. Um, my dad always called me Sister Solja, who's a um, big time uh, black revolutionary. Uh, she's a woman, but she, <laughs> my dad always called me that because I was always aware from a young age um, of people's perceptions of who I was because of my color and people's perceptions of what, um, like where I lived and, you know, so, so I'd say that it was, it was an advantage that I had um, and I feel very privileged to have those kind of two um, perspectives. Is that code switching something that you still feel you need to do or you still, you still utilize or tap into? Um, well, code switching is just, yes, because, and I feel like it's part of cultural competency. When you grow up in different places and you learn how to code switch, then you, you're, you can relate to different kinds of people and um, you can be cultural competent and, you know, a couple different cultures. So it allows you to, you know, get the job here, but then also be able to relate to the kids there, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm not going into the, the uh, job interview speaking Ebonics, 
But when I have to talk to a kid, I'm going to talk to him in Ebonics because that's what he that's what he knows. And as a linguist, as someone who's a polyglot, someone who speaks multiple languages and an ESL teacher, I see no reason in um, you know, hiding Ebonics or pretending like, you know, these kids are speaking bad English. No, you speak to them the way they, the way they um, know and tell them, okay, this is the way you, you do things when there's, you know, when you have to be a certain way. And this is the way you can do things when you have to be another way. So um, if anything, it's, a, it's an advantage being able to code switch. Um, so. Yeah, it's a, it's a skill. It's like speaking, speaking multiple languages. Right, right. What's the most important thing you've learned in your life? Um, the most important thing I think I've learned in my life, and this is something that's really overarching and something that I teach my biological kids and my school kids is just the love of learning. Like you have to love learning. Learning is so fun. Like me and my brother, we just used to read our um, encyclopedia Encyclopedia Britannica, we had two sets of encyclopedias. One was a Britannica and one was another one. I don't know, it's a generic one. But <laughs> we just used to read them all day. I mean, when we didn't have the internet back then, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, I wonder if our I wonder if our younger listeners know what an encyclopedia is right now. <laughs> These big <laughs> books with <laughs> lots of information alphabetically ordered. Um, <laughs> but my brother and I both have that just like love of learning and we're actually both teachers now. Um, but it's, if you love to learn, then you can learn to think critically. You can learn to, you know, um, think about situations in a really unique way, not just in a way that you're taught, but kind of think outside the box, which is really cliche, but that's probably the one, um, most important lesson I think I've learned in my life. Mm -hmm. If in, let's say, 150 years from now, if science fails to save us, all that is left is a book about your life, mm -hmm. what would the title be? And what would the blurb tell us about Kemba Gray? Hmm. Um, the title would be, hmm. And I'm going to take this from, um, from Dr. Seuss, one of my most favorite quotes, one of the shortest quotes ever from the Lorax, just the word unless. And I love, I love that uh, from the Lorax. I love that quote. I mean, if you can call it a quote, <laughs> because um, I would love to just have instilled in um, people that I teach or people that I encounter that unless mindsets change, unless we start doing things differently, things will always stay the same. Um, my favorite quote these, these days is, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, so, and I think the blurb would be, you know, a book, um, a book of, I don't know, Maybe it would just be, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Oh. <laughs> that would be the quick blurb. <laughs> and then go inside to read more. <laughs> <laughs> I put you on the spot there. That's not an easy question to answer. <laughs> no. That was a beautiful answer, though. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Kemba, do you have any um, like book, TV, music, m movie recommendations for our audience? Um, let's see. So if, you're, if you love cooking, 
I'm completely obsessed with the show, The Great British Baking Show. Oh my gosh. It's just so fun. Um, I actually lived in London for a couple of years. And although they have their issues there, they definitely have their issues with um, racism and social justice. Um, it, the culture is a little different. So you, you see a lot of people from different backgrounds. You see Muslims, you see Indians, you see whites, you see blacks, you see Africans, um, you know, Asians, and they're just all on there baking. And it's so, they just boil it down to just baking <laughs> and you don't, you know, and they, you don't see like, oh, well, she's Muslim. So she did it this way, or she's black. She did it this. It's just, everyone's baking the same thing. And I just love it. And it kind of gets me away from, you know, all that's going on right now. So I mm -hmm. really recommend that show. <laughs> do, do you, do you like to bake or do you just like to watch people bake? Yeah. I just like to watch people bake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like my younger brother, he watches all these cooking shows. And then he's, yeah. he talks like he's a chef, even though like he probably can't make mac and cheese. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> but he's like super critical of other people's food. I always think it's so, like, he's yeah. great at watching people cook, but not so much <laughs> cooking. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like we know how to, we watch cooking shows and we can critique the cooking and we can do all that. But my husband's the, my husband's the cook, but not so much me. Okay. Yeah. Um, any, any other, any uh, movies, music? Uh, books, anything else? Um, so the Dream Catcher by um, Gloria Ladson Billing is an amazing book about, um, it's ethnography basically, but it's an amazing book about teaching in inner cities in America and, and cultural competency. And I don't know if you can see the post that I'm holding up right now um, through the Zoom. But uh, yeah. it's, it's the title of that book because I wrote it down to put on my, my, my uh, list of things to read. So Nice. There you go. <laughs> um, but it's, it's amazing. And, it, and there's one quote in there and, it's, and it says, you know, black kids are not dumb white kids. And it's, and it's stark and mm. it's in your face. But what we have to realize is there's a, there's a cultural competency that we have to have when teaching different groups of kids and because this group doesn't do it like this group doesn't mean that they're bad and they're good you know mm -hmm. and that that to me is one of the most eye-opening quotes from that book that i always remember when going to teach so that's that's a really it's a really good good book right now we're reading just started reading a book as a staff um how to be an anti-racist so maybe after that maybe we can get uh Dream Makers, that's the title. Mm -hmm. Dream, maybe we can get Dream Makers um, on, uh, on deck for us to read. Yeah. That's, that sounds like it would be not just interesting, but really in, informative and important for us as a, as a school. Yeah, definitely. Well, Kemba, I, uh, I know you are busy and I know you have a class coming up. So I really appreciate you uh, carving the time in between your classes to, to talk with me. Anything, yeah. anything else you would like to add? Any questions, anything to say to our audience? Um, I just want to thank you for having me on. This was fun. I was very nervous, um, but I just want to appreciate you for having me on. And um, no, that's that's it. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Kim, for coming by. This was really fun. And uh, I feel privileged that I get to work on, a, on our uh, close-knit team with you. So Awesome. Likewise. All right. All right, All Kim, right. thank you. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. It's mailbag time.
the part of the podcast when I answer questions sent in from our listeners. This week's first question comes from our fabulous fourth and fifth grade science teacher, Miss Gaffney. Uh, first, a little background on Miss Gaffney. She's actually the reason why I am at the Tobin School. Um, years ago, when I decided I want, wanted to become a teacher, um, and I was in graduate school at Northeastern at night, and Miss Gaffney was my professor at Northeastern. She was teaching at the Tobin during the day and teaching courses at Northeastern at night. So um, I took Miss Gaffney's course on math inquiry. Uh, she was a wonderful teacher, just as she is at the Tobin. And so then I took a second course with her the following semester. So she and I um, really got to know each other and um, we had a good relationship. And so she approached me and she said, you know, I think you would be a really good fit at the Tobin School where I teach during the day. So she set up an interview with the principal at the time, who was uh, Miss Harris. So Miss Gaffney kind of got my foot in the door there. And um, the rest is history, as they say. Uh, but enough about me. Let's get to the question. What is a success that you're most proud of and a challenge that you've had while working at the Tobin? Wait, I'm the host here. I'm supposed to be the one asking the hard questions, Miss Gaffney. Uh, before I talk about a success I've had, I have to talk about a word or philosophy, really, that is discussed often among our middle school students, Ubuntu. It's a South African word meaning literally, I am because you are. Ubuntu is essentially about togetherness, how all of our actions have an impact on others and on society around us. So any successes I've had at the Tobin aren't really mine, they are ours. My, in air quotes, my successes are because of those who have helped me. Uh, Miss Sandy, without whom I never would have survived my first year teaching. She listened to me, answered my questions, gave me advice, mentored me really. Um, all of my students and families who have taught me as much as I have taught them over the years, if not more. Our community of teachers and administrators who have challenged me and supported me. My successes are our successes, they belong to all of us. But to answer your question, Ms. Gaffney, uh, my greatest successes are really the relationships I've built with students over the years. When I get a random phone call or text from a former student or a parent whose child they taught years ago. Um, when a high school student, Zakaya, stops by the Tobin after school and comes straight to my room to give me a hug and tell me all about high school. When I get a random phone call from Mariella, a former first grade student of mine who now lives in Florida, asking me about my family and telling me about what she's learning in school. Each one of these actions fills my bucket, something I talked about um, with Mr. Toledano in our first episode. Uh, these relationships are what I'm most proud of. My biggest challenge, uh, hands down, was my first year of teaching. There is no graduate course or student teaching that can truly prepare you for that first day when you have just 25 students looking up at you and you are on. That whole first year, felt like I was just trying to stay afloat. Um, and Miss Sandy was my life jacket. But I made it through, and uh, here I am 11 years later. Uh, great questions, Miss Gaffney. Thank you for writing in or calling in. Hi, Mr. Gordon. This is Miss Aird. My question for you is, what is your 
favorite movie of all time and why? Wow, Miss Aird, what a difficult question to answer, but an important question. Uh, Miss Aird is one of our fantastic pre-K teachers at the Tobin. Unfortunately, my answer is not pre-K appropriate. Um, my all-time favorite movie is The Godfather. It is just a perfect movie in every way. It's like watching poetry in motion. The characters, the direction, the story, the music, the quotes. Uh, I quote that movie all the time. It's definitely my most quoted movie um, in my life. I also have some favorite uh, kids movies for our, our younger listeners out there. Um, Toy Story, I love. I loved it when it came out when I was a kid. I still love it today. I. It's one of the two movies my son has ever seen. I watched it with him recently. And also The Lion King, the OG version, not the one that came out last year. Uh, the original that came out in 1994. Just the music, uh, the voices. James Earl Jones doing the voice of Mufasa. Unbelievable. Uh, great question, Miss Aird. This is Miss Rosa from the Tobin. My question is, in the show SpongeBob SquarePants, why are SpongeBob and Patrick able to start a fire while underwater? Fascinating question, Miss Rosa, as always. Um, there's actually a complex scientific explanation for how fire can occur underwater in spite of the water surrounding the fire on all sides. And here it is. It's a cartoon with cartoon logic. It's fantasy. <laughs> Uh, there have been a couple of jokes about it on the show. In the episode of Life of Crime, SpongeBob and Patrick are sitting around a fire, and Patrick says, hey, if we're underwater, how could there be... And then the fire goes out. Uh, in another episode, SpongeBob gets a party invitation, and the ink is all over the place, and SpongeBob says, I guess whoever wrote this doesn't understand the physical limitations of living underwater. Oh, well, let's throw it in the fire. So... <laughs> The creators of the show um, are aware of the, um, the impossibility of having a fire underwater, and they've made a few jokes about it. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, just as a side note, Miss Rosa, SpongeBob also like makes burgers underwater, writes on paper underwater, um, lives in a pineapple under the sea, but you're good with all that? Like That makes sense? The fire was just too much for you? Uh, <laughs> thanks for the question, Miss Rosa. Welcome to week three of the Beard Power Rankings, where I rank the strength of the beards at the Tobin School. Uh, before I get started, I have a couple anecdotes about the Beard Power Rankings. I was in an eighth grade class last week with um, Dante, one of our eighth graders, and he said, yo, Mr. Gordon, you're throwing shade at Mr. Paremba with those beard rankings. I guess Dante took some issue with Mr. Paremba being at the bottom uh, two weeks in a row. So first of all, um, Mr. Paremba knows I love him. These beard power rankings are all out of love. Um, second of all, if Mr. Paremba wants to get out of the basement, he needs to put the razor down, grow up a little bit, and let that beard grow. He knows that. Um, second anecdote is I got a co uh, text from Coach Sam last week who had listened to the podcast, and he said, Mr. Gordon, I don't know if I should be honored for being included or embarrassed for being so low. Uh, Coach Sam is like 20 years old, I think. Uh, he said, I don't even know if I can grow a beard. 
So I say, well, Coach Sam, you should be honored. And also, um, forget about like getting to the top of the beard power rankings. Like you're not catching a T at the top there. Um, so if, if you're going to be kind of shaven, be cleanly shaven. Be, be the most best cleanly shaven you can be and try to take that last spot for Mr. Paremba. So that was my challenge to Coach Sam. Um, let's see if he listened. So um, let's get on with it. This week's week three beard power rankings. In the top spot, Mr. T, who's not going anywhere until he shaves that thing on his face. Two, Mr. Patrick coming out of nowhere this week. I was in a meeting with Mr. Patrick this morning and I realized like he's got a nice beard going on. I thought he just had like a goatee before. Maybe he did, but he's let the beard grow. Um, I dig it. So Mr. Patrick in that second spot this week. Number three, me. Number four, Z, Mr. Zimmerman, who apparently he and I are just like swapping spots every week, which is cool. In the fifth spot, Coach Sam. And in last, smooth as butter, Mr. Paremba. Thank you to my guest, Miss Gray, to Miss Gafty, Miss Aird, and Miss Rosa for sending in questions. Last week, Miss Akamu suggested that we come up with some alternative to the beard power rankings for the folks out there who cannot grow beards. I'm still waiting to hear your ideas, so if you have any, send them in. Halloween this week, if you are celebrating, be safe, socially distance, brush your teeth after eating all that candy. We don't want cavities. November 3rd is election day. Please vote. Younger listeners out there, if your uh, grown-up has not gone out to vote yet, please remind them to do so. It's very important. One correction from today's episode. Miss Gray and I were talking about a book, uh, Dream Catchers or Dream Makers, I believe we said. It's called Dream Keepers. The author is Gloria Ladson Billings. Sorry about that. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, until next time, be safe, be kind, be you. I love you all.